Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of our Market Horizons podcast series. I'm Amanda Thomas, head of our London International Capital Markets practice, and I'm joined by Jen Creswell, a counsel in the same practice. Jen and I are going to chat through some of the changes that appear to be coming our way on the prospectus regime front, on both the European and UK sides, and from a mainstream debt capital markets perspective. We're also lucky to have Paul Paporte, a partner in our Luxembourg office, and Jonathan Heringer, a partner in our Amsterdam office, with us today to share their thoughts on a couple of points, so you'll hear from them later. At this stage, I think it's fair to say we know more about where things may be headed on the EU side than the UK side. Can you explain why that is, Jen? Thanks, Amanda. On the EU side, the Commission published its Listing Act proposal last year, That proposes changes to various listing-related pieces of legislation, such as the EU Prospectus Regulation, the EU Market Abuse Regulation and the EU Listing Directive. On the prospectus side, proposals sit in a draft amending regulation, so we can see the tweaks being made to the EU PR. On the UK side, though, We're looking at a complete regime overhaul as part of the post-Brexit restacking of the UK's future regulatory framework, and that's under the architecture of the Financial Services and Markets Bill. At this point, we've seen an illustrative statutory instrument, so can see in statute a prohibition on offers to the public with retained and expanded exemptions. Under the bill's new designated activities regime, The SI sets out the designated activity of admitting securities to trading on a regulated market and gives the FCA the power to make designated activity rules, called admission rules, in relation to this. So a large piece of the puzzle is still missing in the shape of admission rules, although we believe a discussion paper on this front may be coming from the FCA at some point this spring. So from the EU perspective, we're looking at tweaks around the edges in relation to debt securities, whereas on the UK side, we're looking at a complete structural overhaul of the regime. But it isn't clear yet the degree to which that will result in substantive change for us. Having said that, we did hear from the FCA at the Primary Market Bond Regulation Conference that we hosted with the ICMA back in February. The direction of travel on the UK side is convergence, not divergence, so we think we're unlikely to see far-reaching interventions. Let's talk about some of the EU's amendments, though. There's a bit of a shopping list there. Uh, Changes around standardisation of prospectuses, changes to the approach for fungible securities, changes around incorporation by reference, and on the ESG front. I'll start on that shopping list. One of the changes attracting attention is the proposed introduction of a standardised sequence for the information disclosed in a prospectus. It isn't clear exactly what's going to be required here, but anything too prescriptive would push up the costs and time required to prepare a prospectus, at least initially, and it could reduce the flexibility and adaptability of the prospectus. We're going to have to wait to see more on this, as under the proposals, the Commission will have the power to adopt delegated acts regarding the standardised sequence. But Amanda, at least on the DCM side, it doesn't seem like we'll be juggling a page limit for a prospectus. That's right. The proposals include a page limit of 300 pages for equity prospectuses in a bid to avoid overly lengthy documents. Of course, it's difficult to apply a one-size-fits-all approach to debt security prospectuses, 
and base prospectuses can't avoid being longer given the range of products catered for under programs, so the page limit proposal doesn't apply to them. But the drive to limit length is connected to another of the proposals. Jen, do you want to talk about what's proposed on the incorporation by reference front? Sure, there are two things proposed. The first point I'll quickly mention is that the Commission is proposing to make incorporation by reference mandatory. That is, information that's required to be included in the prospectus has to be incorporated by reference to other previously or simultaneously published documents like annual and interim financial information. So an issuer won't be able to set the information out in the prospectus if it's covered elsewhere. This goes to making prospectuses shorter and more concise, but there's always the concern that mandating something like this restricts an issuer from providing its disclosure in the way it needs to, that it might hamper the issuer in producing a document which is easily analysable and comprehensible. The second point is that the proposals remove the need for a supplement to update annual or interim financial information incorporated by reference in a base prospectus. Whilst perhaps some amendments are needed to clarify the drafting of the proposals, we understand the intention behind this is to facilitate future incorporation by reference of updated financial information. This has been sought for many years by the debt capital markets and so is welcome. Yes, that is welcome. I guess seeing as you said the word supplement, we should also mention that the proposals include a provision noting that a supplement cannot be used to introduce a new type of security into a base prospectus. That's right. We currently have this buried in a recital, so its elevation into the articles is perhaps just a tightening and a codification of competent authority practice and an investor protection measure. Perhaps it's more straightforward for information about all products to be set out in the base and reviewed at that point, rather than being available in a fragmented way across the base prospectus and supplements. However, this provision could end up being restrictive and burdensome for issuers. For example, if it meant that they couldn't use a supplement to add green bond issuance to their programmes. ESMA will have to develop guidelines on what constitutes a new type of security, so at that stage, it would be crucial to get the balance right so that investor protection and competent authority review considerations don't overly tie issuers' hands. I'm sure ESMA will think hard about this. I'm sure they will. Now, you just touched on green bond issuance, so I'm going to bring Jonathan in to speak more on that topic, particularly given that the Dutch Competent Authority, the AFM, has recently put out a piece on what they expect to be covered off in prospectuses relating to the issuance of sustainable bonds. Jonathan, before we talk about the proposals in the EU Listing Act, are there any key points to note from what the AFM has put out? Thanks, Amanda. As you may know, the AFM has always been vocal about sustainable bond disclosure. You may recall that already back in 2019, together with the French competent authority, the AMF, they produced a proposal for a prospectus regulation delegated act annex specifically for green social and sustainable bond disclosure now recently they have indeed put out a piece describing 10 points which they expect to see in prospectuses relating to sustainable bonds these include not only points that have become market practice in the past years such as a detailed description of the use of proceeds but also include new requirements 
The AFM expects to see a specific description of the intended impact or reduction pre-issuance at the individual issue level, or if in specific cases only a so-called portfolio approach is used instead of at the individual issue level at the portfolio level. Also, information on whether the transaction or issue aligns with one or more ESG market standards and at least a clarification whether or not the issue aligns with the EU taxonomy will be required. Finally, the AFM requires a description of how the bond contributes to the issuer's transition plans or sustainability goals, as well as information on how the sustainable bonds align with the issuer's broader business strategy and objectives. Okay, thanks for that, Jonathan. So against this backdrop, what is it that the Listing Act proposals do? Well, we don't have a lot of detail right now, but the proposals amend the Commission's delegated act powers to give the Commission the power to adopt a Level 2 schedule or annex that would be followed in the case of non-equity securities that take into account ESG factors or pursue ESG objectives. The measure aims to improve consistency and comparability on the ESG disclosure front and fight greenwashing. We don't know the content of the annex or the timing around this, and ESMA might be asked for technical advice on it, and they might take inspiration from the 2019 proposal by the AMF and AFM, as mentioned before. Therefore, we will have to wait and see how this will unfold and how it will interact with other overlapping legislation on its journey, such as the EU Green Bond Standard. We understand there's a political agreement on that. But we hope that any new ESG annex for prospectuses won't represent an excessive burden for issuers. And ultimately, things like the EU Green Bond Standard and a specific ESG prospectus regulation annex will mean that individual competent authorities like the AFM won't need to fill the regulatory gap that perhaps they feel exists currently on the ESG front. I agree with that, Jonathan. As a last point on the EU prospectus front, let's come back to you, Jen to talk about the different fungible security proposals briefly. Sure, the proposals do two things. Firstly, they expand the existing exemptions from the prospectus requirement for securities fungible with those already admitted to trading on the same regulated market. They do this by increasing the threshold on the existing exemption so that it's available to fungible securities representing up to 40% of those already admitted. So that's up from the current 20% threshold. And where that exemption isn't available, the proposals add a further exemption, allowing issuers to produce a short 10-page document rather than a full prospectus in order to issue additional fungible securities. This might be helpful from some viewpoints in terms of reducing costs and complexity for issuers, but ultimately the proposals would reduce the amount and quality of information that is available to investors, impacting investor protection and also potentially increasing underwriter liability risk, which may increase costs for issuers. The second bucket of things the proposals do on the fungibles front is to introduce the concept of a follow-on prospectus for fungible securities not covered by the exemptions. Our concern is that some of the requirements for this look a bit equity-ish or impose requirements going beyond the current retail and wholesale annex disclosure requirements. So we'll have to see how the proposals develop as to whether it may be genuinely useful on the debt front. More to keep an eye on than Jen. 
Before moving on to the UK, I wanted to quickly pick up on one other aspect of the listing app proposals, and that's the proposed repeal of the listing directive. Paul, what's going on with that? Thanks, Amanda. Indeed, another piece of the listing package published by the Commission is a directive. And one of the things that would do if enacted is repeal the listing directive. The listing directive was adopted many years ago and provided the framework for official listing way before things like the prospectus directive came out. In some sentence, it's um, a historic piece of legislation and you could say listing as a concept has been overtaken entirely by admission to trading on venues such as regulated markets. However, various markets in Europe are still markets which confer an official listing. For example, when an issuer seeks admission to Luxembourg's regulated market, the Bourse de Luxembourg, it is also getting a listing on an official list on that market. But do we really need that, Paul? I think it's one for careful consideration. If the basis, the listing directive for official listing is pulled away, might there be unintended consequences? Could it cause practical problems where investors' investment mandates refer to listed securities? We'd hope not, and that things have been updated or could be interpreted sensibly, but it is a point worth careful consideration. On a wider front, though, the listing concept could continue to stay relevant, especially on the debt side, where bonds are often not traded on exchange and where a mere listing on an official list may be sufficient. The listing concept also enables exchanges to encourage disclosure where it isn't otherwise required and where it is becoming important for investors. To give you an example, the Luxembourg Stock Exchange operates the securities official list, which has been used in the security token space. These securities can't be admitted to a regulated market or an MTF for the moment, but there is appetite for such securities. The securities official list, the SOL, is open to distributed ledger technology securities and seeking a listing there encourages visibility and credibility in that space. So the message, Paul, is one of careful consideration so that the baby isn't thrown out with the bathwater. That's right. The basis for listing may still be important, whether through the listing directive or another avenue enabling national listing regimes to continue. Thanks, Paul. I'm aware of time and the fact that we've said very little about the UK piece so far. As Jenna's already mentioned, we're waiting to see a large piece of the puzzle in terms of what the FCA will propose by way of admission rules. So covering when a prospectus might be needed and what it might contain. In terms of what we've seen in the illustrative SI, Jen, I'm going to ask you to tell us what you think the two key points are. That's tough, Amanda. There's a lot we could talk about, but okay. Um, my point one, uh, the illustrative SI includes a straight prohibition on offers of relevant securities to the public in the UK with retained and expanded exemptions, so things like the qualified investor exemption and an exemption for securities to be admitted to a market for which a prospectus might separately be required under admission rules. But the interesting thing is the breadth of the relevant securities concept and the things that might be caught by the public offer prohibition as a result, unless they have an exemption. Transferable securities are caught things in our space, bonds, etc. we'd expect that. But the definition is much more broad than that. I can understand why that's being done out of a desire to regulate things like non-transferable securities such as so-called mini-bonds and other things in the future that might pose a risk to investors if they're unregulated. Totally understandable. However, there's a very real concern that the breadth of the definition will capture other sorts of business which we wouldn't expect to be regulated under the public offer regime, 
syndicated lending, certain derivatives business, and that those sorts of business will be forced through public offer analysis hoops in a way that doesn't happen currently. So an understandable investor protection concern for the government, but it needs to be handled in a way which doesn't make the UK a less attractive place for certain other types of business. Indeed. In terms of my point two, I'll mention the proposed changes to the necessary information test. That's the test that determines what information a prospector should include, and it's hardwired into the illustrative SI. There was recognition that the current test isn't a fantastic fit for debt securities, as it specifically includes reference to disclosure being required about the issuer's prospects, which is perhaps more suitable for equity securities. So changes are proposed to reference creditworthiness, but the way this has come through in the drafting is less clear than was expected off the back of the Treasury's outcome statement previously. So we hope further thought is being given to this. And I should quickly add, Amanda, that the illustrative SI includes further detail on the necessary information test for asset-backed securities and structured products. It looks like in some ways it replicates the existing level two requirements, but given the wide range of products that would be captured, it might be more sensible to leave it with the FCA to determine more of the detail around the necessary information test for those products to ensure there's appropriate flexibility. So we'll need to see what the FCA comes up with then, Jim. I know there are lots of other things that we could talk about in the illustrative SI, like exactly how some of the exemptions are crafted, withdrawal rights, the liability exemptions for forward-looking statements, to name just a few. But I think it's also worth drawing out again that there's plenty of the puzzle missing, because where we've been used to seeing these requirements covered in the legislation itself, by which I mean the prospectus regulation, we won't see these now until the FCA puts pen to paper on their rules. Yes, and I think you're referring to things like will non-equity issuance by sovereigns be out of scope of the admission rules? Will the fungible security exemptions for admission to trading purposes look as they do under the current PR regime? I've obviously mentioned concerns around the Commission's proposals on this front. And the biggie, will there still be a distinction between wholesale and retail prospectus disclosure requirements? Yes, we know that the current Euro 100,000 disclosure differentiation threshold is under scrutiny and there is a chance that it could be dismantled. The idea being that removal of the retail versus wholesale bifurcation may encourage issuance in smaller denominations as one step towards kickstarting a retail market in the UK. We understand that market participants will be asked for views on this, and the key point will be to ensure that the wholesale market doesn't become subject to a greater regulatory burden given that it currently works very well. We understand that the will is there to support the wholesale market, but as with all these things, the devil will be in the detail. I know we should probably wrap up soon, but before we do, perhaps we can quickly raise the ESG flag on the UK side, given that Jonathan talked about ESG disclosure in prospectuses on the EU side. Obviously, as in the EU, there aren't currently specific ESG disclosure requirements for prospectuses. But back in June last year, the FCA published a feedback statement that signalled further work to strengthen debt issuers' transparency on climate-related matters and that they might be considering this in the context of the review of the UK prospectus regime. 
So I think it will be interesting to see whether the FCA's draft admission rules include anything on the ESG front. That will definitely be interesting, Jen. And I also agree that it's time to round up. There's obviously a lot going on in the prospectus space, which is clearly going to be one of the first areas of UK financial services regulation where there will be divergence from the status quo. But I think we can take comfort from the fact that there are no showstoppers on the EU side and arguably some improvements, certainly around future incorporation by reference. And the will is certainly there on the UK side to support the well-functioning wholesale debt capital markets whilst moving to a post-Brexit regulatory landscape. We're obviously going to be following this closely and engaging with regulators and others as things develop. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be plenty of material for future podcasts. Thanks very much, Jen, Jonathan and Paul for joining in the fun today. All that's left is for me to say thanks to everyone for listening. Goodbye.